the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night. For the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants and desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer, chapter 2, starting in verse 2. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Since you are not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid, and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him. How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And Lord God, we know that your word never returns void. 
but it always accomplishes your purpose and your pleasure. So, Father, today, please, increase our faith, increase our wisdom, which are both gifts from you, and might we leave this place today saying that it was good that we were together in the house of God. Thank you so much now. We ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. We are so grateful that you invited us. I hope I didn't invite myself. I think you invited us. That we could be together and proclaim the word of God and listen to the word of God because both are equally worship how we listen and how great it is, and certainly my heart and mind were all over the place as to what to preach to you this morning, but all I kept thinking about was how great our God is. So we've entitled the message today, Our Great God and Our Life Mission, because everyone, as an individual, has an individual mission that God has given them. We have things that the Lord wants us to do, and things that we are to be about as we attempt to enhance the kingdom of heaven. You have giftedness. I know everybody here has at least one gift. Amen? And probably more. But God wants us to use them for his glory. So our great God, our life mission, and then corporately, together, we and us, to do something together for the great cause of God. Now, I happen to be one of these people that some people view as ignorant and maybe overly hopeful, but I believe our God can do anything. And I pray that you believe the same way. He spins all the plates. And what I mean by that is he orchestrates everything. He is the true multitasker. I know when I do things, sometimes I go on overload because I can give all kinds of energy over here and then there's suddenly something lacking over here. But it is a great thing to realize God does all things well. God does all things perfectly. God doesn't make any mistakes and when things don't work out, it's my fault and it's your fault that somehow we have faltered in the plan of Almighty God. What I like so much is God works in our lives sometimes before things even happen. There might be hard times coming next week, next month, next year, and God being an eternal God looks into eternity future and he sees us on our knees. And he sees us petitioning God, and he already starts working on the answers before we've even prayed, before we even know that there is any difficulty in our life. But we peek through the eyes of faith. Isn't that hard? I think of the gentleman in the Gospels who said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief because we all falter, we all get scared, we all get apprehension. And I know you could quote a verse to me as to why that shouldn't be, but you know what? We're human beings. I think we're all human here, aren't we? Amen? Everyone can agree on something, right? We're all human, 
time we have difficulties. Yet I like Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So it's not, I hope this will happen. It is when it will happen. Because it's God who is in charge. And God says, for without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It actually should release us and free us up if we realize it's God's work. It's his battle. It's his doing. We simply need to get on board and trust him and be a part of his plan. How about Psalm 139? God knows your thoughts afar off. That could be a little scary. Before you think a thought, God knows what it is you will think. And you are presently right where you're supposed to be at this time. No amens on that. And understand, perhaps, we have been raised up for a time such as this. And we thank God that he is still working in our life. Don't be fearful. Don't be anxious. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, and don't forget, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. But you might say, hey, Pastor Gary, it doesn't feel so good all the time. And some portions of the journey have been great, but other portions have been trying. And I haven't understood. And there's been difficulty, and we certainly understand that. And I read in James 1, 1 and 2, be joyful when you encounter various trials, knowing that by these you gain endurance I'll let you in on a little secret. I don't always understand everything that's in the Word of God, but I trust in His character. I trust in who He is. I trust that He will do all things right, and He does all things well. So whether I get it or not, it doesn't matter. And I'm glad that I can trust in Him. Now, you said to yourself, it was a text out of Nehemiah. When are you going to give us some Nehemiah? I am known for the world's longest introductions. So we will move on. Nehemiah and Israel are in captivity. Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king in Persia. He's in the palace. He would taste the king's food. He would drink whatever the king was going to drink to make sure it wasn't poison. I think pastors need to get one of those guys. That's why we hire assistants and associates sometimes to test the food. And there he was. It was a cushy job. Good retirement program good benefits. The king liked him. He wasn't just tasting the food and drinking what he was going to drink. I'm sure the king asked his advice. Nehemiah was godly. 
Nehemiah had a good head on his shoulders, and I'm sure they corresponded back and forth. But Nehemiah was in captivity. When God would discipline Israel, many times like a spiritual spanking, like chastisement, read it in the book of Hebrews, he would bring enemy nations into their life to conquer them and to take them into captivity so that they would learn their lesson and return to Almighty God. While Nehemiah is sitting there, one of his brethren, Hanani, comes and reports on the situation in Jerusalem, that holy city of Israel. Understand, many times those in captivity would be allowed to return to their cities and return to their homelands, even though they were still in subjection to their captors. So Hananiah says Jerusalem's in bad shape. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. And folks, I want you to understand something. That's a reproach on the name of God. God gets blamed for everything. But it's when we're not faithful and we're not doing what God has called us to do that God gets blamed. Remember, Gandhi made a statement at one time, I would have become a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. We mess up and we give God a bad name. Years ago in the church I started on Cape Cod, we had a saying, we also had it at, uh, it's funny, at Cape Cod Church where we were at. It said it's a sin to bore a teenager. And we took on that theory because it is a sin to bore teenagers. You want to know why? God is not boring. But sometimes we are. And we better make sure we compliment God for who he is and what he is seeking to do. Nehemiah, when he hears about it, his heart is breaking. And he starts to think about it, but he's not like me. I can be an impulsive guy. Some of you are impulsive. Some of you are very systematic. Some of you never make a decision, right? We're always thinking about it, but Nehemiah took four months to deliberate and to do various things, which we'll look at in a moment, to be sure it was God's will for him to return to Jerusalem to build the walls. Now, I started off by saying God can do anything, and I want to quickly just give you a quick, cute little story that Colonial has heard before. I'm kind of sure it's not true. But listen to it anyway, because I think the principle drives home the truth. There was a pastor getting out of his, or getting into his car, actually, to go to the office uh, to work at the church for the day. And as he got ready to get into his car, he heard the sound of a cat meowing. He looked up at the large tree by the side of his driveway, and there was a little gray kitten way up in the top of the tree on a limb. Immediately he knew he wanted to rescue the kitten. And he was amazed that cats and kittens can always get up into trees. 
but they have difficulty coming down out of the tree many, most often. So he decided he'd have a plan. He went into the garage. He got one of those thick ropes that you would see down at the boatyard. He carried it out. He attached one side of this massive rope to the bottom of this limb that reached all the way to the top of the tree where the kitten was sitting. He then attached the other end of the limb to the bumper of his car. And he decided that if he backed up very slowly, he could slowly pull that limb all the way down to the ground and lift the kitten off of the limb or the kitten could jump off. So he starts backing up very slowly until the rope is taut. He looks and the kitten's about 10 feet up. He decided, I have to go back just a little bit more. It'll be fine. He backs up a little bit more and all at once, you know what happened, the rope snaps and the limb flies upward at an alarming rate and this little kitten is catapulted into the air flying across the neighbor's yards. The pastor, I can't believe you laughed at that, the pastor is frantic, running through the yards, looking for this little kitten, afraid he's going to see it, you know, kind of smashed against the side of one of the houses. He can't find it. He finally gives up, goes into the office. A full day passes. The next day he's at the office. His wife calls him, and she says, Honey, would you bring home a few things from the store? He says, Sure. He stops at the supermarket, and while he's in the supermarket, he sees a young woman there, a new family that had just joined the church, just moved into the area. She's shopping. He's been at their house already a couple of times, and as he's talking to her, he looks down into her cart. Are you nosy like I am? You know, she kind of looks in and sees what she's got, and he can get an idea of what the family's like. Some of us look into the medicine cabinet when we visit people, you know, stuff like that. He looks into the cart and he sees cat food. And he looks at her and he says, that's funny, I visited you twice, I never knew you had a cat. She said, Pastor, the funniest thing happened yesterday. She said, you know we have three children. And our little four-year-old Emily came into the house crying. Everybody has a kitty, I want a kitty. They didn't want to get a cat, but they decided they'd use this as a spiritual lesson. So they said, honey, you pray to God. And if God wants to give you a kitty, God will give you a kitty. And if God gives you a kitty, how can we possibly say no? So Emily bursts into a big smile. She starts praying. She's praying everywhere. Finally, she runs out into the yard. She's still praying. She's so happy. And suddenly, <laughs> through the air, comes this little gray kitten flying airborne into the yard and lands in the high grass, because God's all about safe landing still. She picks it up. She runs inside. Mommy, Mommy, God gave me a kitty. What could Mom say? 
she had to let her keep the kitten because she had prayed to Almighty God. God can do anything. And in a less silly way, God works in your life and in my life and orchestrates and multitasks. But we have to look at him at the beginning and not when everything is falling apart. Trust him to work in our lives. So here's some of the things that Nehemiah does knowing the sad state of Jerusalem with the walls broken down and the gates burned with fire. The first thing this morning, all the right life mission ingredients. Back to Nehemiah 1. 4 through 9, it says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And then verse 11, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So the situation in the palace is tense. Nehemiah's brokenhearted. He's always be friendly. He's always been smiling. He's always had a word of encouragement for the king. And now he's kind of pouting. You do not pout in front of Persian kings. He could very easily have taken his head and dismissed him from his position. But Nehemiah cannot shake the thought of what's going on in Jerusalem. And don't we feel that way about the works of God? Don't we feel that way at First Baptist that you want to see God's name glorified? You want to do things in a way that's worthy of him? We feel the same way at our church. I feel so terrible when we do something and it's not bringing glory and excitement and interest to people who watch on. Jerusalem's sad estate. They're in captivity. We see that in verses 1 through 3. Israel had a cycle in the Old Testament. We have a cycle. 
I won't get too detailed, but you know what? They'd start off with fellowship and a right standing before God. And things were so good, they'd forget about God. Then suddenly there'd be sin and rebellion. Then God would correct them by bringing in an enemy nation. We have things in our life that God brings into our life to get us to look up and to acknowledge who he is. The people wouldn't like the oppression. We don't, right? They'd cry out, and God would send a deliverer. In the book of Judges, he would send judges. They would be supernaturally endowed with power. They would be great preachers of the word of God. The people would repent, and God would bring them back to a place of fellowship and a right stand before him. And it would be good for a while, but then they'd forget, and the cycle would start all over again. Hey, Nehemiah prays immediately to God. Shouldn't we pray first? Shouldn't we talk to God first when these things happen? Verse 4 of Nehemiah 1 says he weeps and he mourns. He has a genuine burden and a broken heart. I don't know how often I cry. I don't know how often my heart is broken. But I know it needs to be broken more for the things of God. I know sometimes we can pray mechanically because we know we should. But when does it really get into the fiber of our being that friends and neighbors are dying without Jesus? and going to go out into a Christless eternity. I like that Nehemiah in verse 5, he prays the scriptures. We're doing that at Colonial now. We call it a prayer challenge. He prayed the scriptures. He said, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, you think God knows he's great and awesome? You think God knows he's a God of love? Do you think he's already come up with the fact that he's merciful, that he's all-powerful, that he's omnipresent, that he knows all things, he's omniscient? You think he already knows that? But don't you think God gets excited when it comes from our lips? And we pray and we say, Lord, you're awesome. You're mighty. Do you think he says, yes, I am. You've got it right. I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to act on your behalf. I have a daughter. You know, she's uh, 29 now, but I love when she says, you're the greatest. I always call you when I have a problem. Thank you so much for being my friend. You know, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's God. You know, I love you too. But don't you think my head gets just a little bit big and I enjoy hearing that from someone that I love so much? God wants to hear from us. And God doesn't want it to be empty and mechanical. He wants it to be crying out from our heart, knowing who he is. And then intercessory prayer and repentance, verses 6 and 7 he says, we have sinned. I have sinned. My fathers have sinned. 
Israel has sinned, we haven't done right. Verses 6 and 7. And you know what's kind of funny? Nehemiah was a good man. Nehemiah was a godly man. It would have been very easy for Nehemiah to say, it's not my fault. And to have started naming people around him that were ruining things and caused them to be in captivity. I'm impressed with Nehemiah that he's able to say, I've sinned. My father's house has sinned. Israel has sinned. We're sorry. Think of the great example of Job when he prayed for his children, just in case they sinned in their heart. How many of you have prayed for grandchildren who haven't even been born yet? Or prayed for situations that haven't even helped yet, or even happened yet? Or if you're looking to get married, or, you know, settle down, or whatever, you're praying for it before it even takes place. Because you know he's eternal. And you know that you want to rest in him. Nehemiah says in verses 8 and 9, you told us this would happen. You told us if we sinned and violated the commandments of Moses, we would be sent to the uttermost parts of the earth. We would be in captivity. It has happened. All Nehemiah is saying is, I acknowledge that what you say comes to pass. Folks, every time I find myself in trouble, I know it's my fault. You know, if I would look inward, if we would judge ourselves, guess what? It would be a full-time job. Just to look inward and do right. I told you that I'm a chaplain over at Taunton State Hospital part-time. I do groups there, but I also work with individuals. I had one young man, he probably is in his late 20s, every time I would come in to talk to him, he'd be mad at God. He'd say, Pastor Gary, I'm mad at God. He just controls everything. He's always fighting with me. He's always arguing with me. He's always doing things his way, and I would try to explain to him, God loves you, he wants the best for you, don't look at it that way. He keeps saying it. God's not my friend. God keeps coming at me. Well, I walked in two weeks ago to see him. I sat down expecting to get more of the same. He looks at me, he goes, Pastor Gary, I give up. I give up. I can't win. God wins every time. I've got to do it his way. I've got to start trusting him. I don't want to be in control anymore. I want God to be in control. And I looked at him, I said, you know, there are some people in my church and churches from years ago, I wish they could come up with this. And here I am talking to a guy in a mental institution. That's something we all need to come up with. I give up. Take control. Do what you want to do with me, my life, my family, my job, my church my circumstances. What were some of the challenges? Well, 
He said, Lord, help me with this man. The first person who had to do something on his behalf was the king. But Proverbs 21.1 says, The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Amen? It doesn't matter what you have going against you, whether it's a do not enter sign, whatever it is, God can turn that over and he can cause things to flow in a godly direction. Romans 8.31 says, But if God be for us, who can be against us? Aren't you glad that God is on your side? Aren't you glad you belong to him? He loves you. He has pulled you out of a horrible pit. He has set your feet on a rock. And he has established your goings. The second thing this morning, understanding the mission is orchestrated by God. Verse 10. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Do you see Nehemiah say, I, 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 or is it your? Lord, you're in charge of all this. This is your world. Even I'm told in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you own every part of me. I belong to you. And we're simply declaring divine ownership. You ever get nervous when somebody talks to you and every other word out of their mouth is the personal pronoun, I? I remember my daughter, I don't mean to pick on her today, but she's not here. Her dating some losers. Just dating some losers. And I remember I met one one time, and he was like, I, 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 I. And I talked to my daughter. I said, um, anything seem funny to you? All those eyes? How about you? How about us? How about we? Something. I get a little nervous when somebody is so self-absorbed rather than realizing that it all belongs to God. First church that I pastored, I started on Cape Cod. After we had built a building and we were on the property for a while, I did a lot of counseling, and a woman came in to talk to me. She said, can I talk to you? I'm having a real problem. I said, sure. She came in after service, sat down. She told me the problem. It was devastating. And she gave me the details. And then she sat back and kind of waited for the wisdom to pour out of me. I reached over, grabbed my Bible, pulled it in front of me, and I started flipping. And I don't even remember what the problem was at this point, because this was back in like 1986. I started flipping from my Bible, and she goes, What are you doing? I said, Excuse me? What is that you got there? Is that a Bible? I said, yes. She said, I've got a real problem here. I need some practical answers. I need some insight. What, are you going to give me a couple of verses? I said, that's what I do. 
I'm a pastor. Every problem you could possibly have is in the Word of God. She left disgusted. I never got to give her any advice. And we chuckle at that. But I think sometimes many believers are just that way. I know what you're saying. I know what the verse is. I heard the sermon, but I want to do it my way. And I want to be in control of my own life. And maybe you're like me. You have proven it doesn't work. And we mess up over the same things time and time again. Remember I said God multitasks. He orchestrates. Some examples in the Bible, if you're taking notes, remember Cornelius and Peter, Acts the 10th chapter. Cornelius loved God, reached out to God, but he didn't know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So God brings Peter to his side to fill him in. But God first had to give Peter a lesson on not being prejudiced a respecter of persons. God said to Peter, what I have made clean, let no man say is filthy. Because a Gentile needed the word of God. What about Philip, the evangelist and the Ethiopian eunuch? The eunuch pulls over, side of the road, shoulder of the road, reading Isaiah 53. The spirit of God says to Philip, you need to get over there. You need to get up in that chariot. He needs some help. Philip says to the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? How many people would respond that way if we would take a step of faith and talk to them about the things of God? Even Saul, the persecutor, and Stephen, who was persecuted to death for preaching a great sermon, Stephen's clothes were taken and they were deposited at the feet of Saul. Don't you think God caused that to happen? To start to have some effect in Saul's heart and mind before he got on the road to Damascus to go persecute some more believers. Remember the roads to Damascus? Is that God multitasking too? Getting knocked off of his horse or his donkey, whatever it was? Seeing a great light and hearing Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Have you ever heard that saying? Do you realize that's a farming illustration? Do you realize the farmers had a goad, an instrument that was 8 to 12 feet long? The farmer would stand behind the oxen, and if they weren't working in unison... If they were not cooperating, he would flick the goad. There'd be a sharp piece of stone. It would go into the hide of the oxen, and they'd start kicking. You would too. They started kicking, trying to get at the farmer. But he was 12 feet back. Jesus says, hey, Saul, hard for you to kick against the sharp stones, isn't it? Meaning... You ought to do things my way. And it says, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Jesus said, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And is God God that he sends a man to a street called straight? Isn't that cool? 
God orchestrates everything. And it's important for us to realize that. What is man? That God, you were mindful of him and the Son of Man that you visit him. Thirdly, anybody here have enemies? You're afraid. I'm in church. I can't let you know that. You know? You've got some enemies. You've got a picture in your mind right now. I know you do. You know? Well, if you don't have enemies you can see and touch, you have spiritual enemies. We need a realization of the enemy of our life mission. Nehemiah 6 and verse 2. And these are scattered throughout the book of Nehemiah. Men and situations that were coming at the man of God to keep him from rebuilding the walls and resetting the gates. Nehemiah 6.2, it says, That Samballot and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. There were some guys, Samballot, Geshem, Tobiah, Samaria in general. They were trying to stop the work of God. And they were ridiculing, they were threatening, they were manipulating, and here they're trying a different tactic. They say, hey, come on down to the plain of Ono. We'll talk. Let's be friends. We can work it out. Now, I'm not that bright, but if someone asked me, who I perceived as an enemy, to go somewhere called Ono, I wouldn't have to check it out in the Hebrew. You know, I would not go. And you know what Nehemiah said? His answers were always short. I wish I could be like him. He said, I can't come. I'm doing a great work for God. Period. I always have to give a paragraph. I always have to give the ten different reasons why I can't come because I don't want to hurt your feelings. Nehemiah said, I can't come. I'm doing something great for God. We're doing some great things for the cause of Christ. Other places, if you're taking notes, Nehemiah 4, 2 and 3. The enemies called Nehemiah and the Jews who were rebuilding feeble Jews. And they said, once you build something, even if a fox jumps on top of it, it'll come tumbling down. You won't be able to do anything. You know what Nehemiah said? Lord, turn their reproach on their own heads. Pretty cool. Nehemiah 4.8, they attacked, there's confusion. Verse 9 says, Nehemiah said, nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. Just simple. If we're doing right, God is able to do some great things in our life. They even accused Nehemiah of treason. They said, you're in trouble, buddy. People think you're trying to become king. Come hide in the temple. You know what Nehemiah said? Should a man such as I hide? I think not. Hey, if you're doing right and God is pleased with you, do what you do for an audience of one. As the people rebuilt the wall, guess what? They had a tool in one hand and they had a weapon in the other. And they actually built on the wall the section where they lived. 
because they realized I'm protecting my own family as I fortified this piece of the wall. Everything about First Baptist, everything about colonial, if we realize it, affects our families. So we should be serving, we should be doing, and most certainly it will come back at us. Zechariah 4.6 says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Ephesians 6.10 says, Enter into the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. We're just about to close, but I'm going to go back to the beginning. The king was the first challenge, right? Just to get out of the palace room. Nehemiah said, the king looks at him, he says, what's the matter? You look sad. Are you sick? No, I'm not sick. What's your problem? And Nehemiah says, I was petrified. What's going to happen with me? I'm displeasing the king. But Nehemiah says, of course I'm sad. The holy city Jerusalem lies in waste, and I am broken inside. My heart is broken. This is God. The king says, what do you request? What do you want? You know what I like? Nehemiah immediately prays to God. He didn't just start throwing stuff out. What do you want? A lot of us, if somebody said, what do you want? Boy, we'd have a list. Nehemiah prays to God immediately. He says, I'd like letters of passage from the king. He said, I'd like to cut down some trees in the royal forest so that we can use that to rebuild the gates. I'd like some troops so that I'm protected. And the king says, okay, no problem. He probably would have got more if he asked for it. Sometimes we stop a little bit short. You know what Nehemiah's responsibility was and yours and mine? See, I don't have to fight the battle, either do you. I don't have to go crazy and be sweating and agonizing. We need to yield. We need to surrender. We need to trust, obey, endure. And isn't that the hardest thing we do? We like being busy. But just to lay back and trust God, it's a little more difficult. James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It took a miraculous 52 days for the walls around Jerusalem to be completed. That's miraculous. We couldn't build a wall around First Baptist in 52 days. They built it around a city. And God gives us some verses. Just mark them down if you're taking notes. Deuteronomy 6.11, Joshua 24.13. You know what God reminds Israel? He says, oh, by the way, the houses that you think you built, you didn't build them. I did. The wells you think you dug, you didn't dig them. I did. 
All the blessings you're claiming responsibility for, I did that. And you need to acknowledge that. The walls are done. The dedication follows. The reading of the law, Moses' law, and all the people are together standing up, holding their place. The word of God is being read distinctly. Everybody starts crying. Crying out because they're hearing about their sin. You know, Baptist churches are sometimes miserable places. We know how to cry. We know how to whine. We know how to weep. Let a funny guy come through who tells a few jokes. And wow, that can't be God. Right? Nehemiah stands up and he goes, this is not a time for weeping. This is a time for celebration. This is a time to get close to God. This is a time to smile. Perhaps God's raised us up for a time such as this. Get excited. Get happy. Don't go over what's been happening throughout the years. This is a new time. And don't get me wrong, friends, I am the most respectful of all the things that have gone on in the past and the people of God who have served and done right and sacrificed. But Nehemiah says, don't be sad. And then he says in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I don't do all that much when I'm miserable when I'm unhappy, when I'm depressed, but boy, when I'm happy and excited and joyful, we can charge hell with a squirt gun when we're feeling good about the things of God. This is a good time. Amen? Being together, loving God, lifting up His Word, rejoicing, and allowing God to stir our hearts. Would you do me a favor and bow your heads for a moment with me? Father, we thank you that we can be here. We thank you, Lord God, for your goodness. We thank you that you're in charge. And Father, we pray today that we would give it up. We'd give in. We'd know that you are the one who causes all things to work well. Forgive us, Lord, when we are disobedient, when we're rebellious, when we think that we run the show. Help us, Lord, to look up. Help us not to be distracted. Might we make some declarations, set up some memorials, even this morning, to serve you in a way that you deserve to be served. We love you and we praise you. We ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.